As you are willing and able, would you join with me in standing and prepare to hear the reading of God's word taken from Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 29. We're reminded that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, directing us where we need to go and what we need to understand. It is also unto us our only rule for our faith and practice, so we may heed well the words of God presented to us this morning. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you, teach your, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law Will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Ron. Today is a special day, a special weekend uh, in the life of our church. You could say it is our birthday or our anniversary. It was seven years ago this weekend that we became our own church, Proclamation Presbyterian Church in America, and we rejoice and thank God for what he has done here in our midst, and we pray that he will continue to work in and through us for his glory until the day that Jesus returns. It's also a special weekend uh, for us you know, not just as a church, but 
uh, in our tradition among the Reformed faith, as tomorrow is Reformation Day, and today, earlier, you heard Tom mention, is Reformation Sunday. The Protestant, the Protestant Reformation was sparked by events that happened uh, just over 500 years ago uh, around this time, and it resulted in the recovery, the teaching, the preaching of foundational truths from the Word of God. One of those truths is this, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Or as uh, Martin Luther summarized in one of his 95 theses, the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true treasure of the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons that he wrote that and, and wanted that to really lead to a uh, a debate among his brothers it turned out to lead to much more than that. But one of the reasons he wrote that was because the church at that time was losing sight of the gospel. And they had begun to put tradition over the authority of the word of God. And whenever that happens, a drift will follow. And that drift will always be away from dependence upon God and his son, Jesus Christ, and towards dependence upon yourself or a system of works. Depending on what you can do, to earn your way back to God, to make up for your sin, to earn your way into heaven. And many at that time were teaching, were living out a lie that said, if you do enough good works, or perhaps if you give enough money, you can atone for your sins. You can move from punishment to reward. Uh, the church, the Roman Catholic Church at that time was teaching this heresy. But even in the time of Jesus, many years before that, God's own people were falling into that lie. And it's really the natural tendency of our human heart to make salvation dependent on something that we do instead of what Jesus has already done. Jesus addressed this himself in Luke chapter 18. He told this parable. Some of you may be familiar with this. He told this parable to people who trusted in themselves. They were self-righteous. And they looked with contempt on others. And he told this story about two men who went into the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee, a Jew, a teacher of the law. And he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector next to me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so that was how he prayed. But the tax collector, the Gentile, the, the pagan, he stood far off. He couldn't even bring himself to lift his eyes to heaven. And he beat his breast and he just cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus' message to the people was, it was that man, it was the, the humble tax collector who acknowledged his sin and his need for God's mercy, who went home justified. It was he that God commended. Well, as, as we study this book of Romans together, beloved, if God will open our eyes and if he'll give us ears to hear and enable us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, there is no way in the world that we will be able to come to the end of our study and pray like that Pharisee. There's no way that can happen if God gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Instead, as these truths from Romans take deep hold in our hearts and our lives, we will always pray, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we will also see and always see that mercy only comes through Jesus. We will believe, we will proclaim the truth that 
was recovered by the Reformation. Salvation is indeed by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then we will live lives of gratitude to the glory of God alone. So with that in mind, let's keep that that basic, big, broad outline of Romans in view. Three simple words. They all start with G. By the time we're done, you'll know this. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And these first three chapters, Paul is bringing out our guilt. We're in the middle of that section today. So in, in Romans chapter 1, we saw the guilt of the Gentiles or the pagan world. Or we might say it today like, like this. Those who didn't grow up in the church, who were outside of the church. In Romans chapter 2, we are seeing the guilt of the Jews of the, or those who were moral. Or we might say those who are inside the church. So this section in Romans chapter 2 today, it shows us what our hearts are like, what our lives are like, apart from the grace of God in Christ. It will show us our need for Christ. And beloved, we need a Savior. This is a universal truth for everyone in the world, no matter where you're from or who you are. We all need a Savior. We need someone outside of ourselves who can come and rescue us from ourselves, from our guilt and our shame and our sin and our death. We need someone who can obey God's law in our place, who can give us a new heart and bring us back to God. And Romans will tell us all about this Savior. But first, it begins by making us take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. And so today, we will consider both guilt and grace. And I want to frame it in this way. I want to encourage you to do two things as we study this passage this morning. To, to take two looks. One is to take that look in the mirror and to see the log in your own eye. Ask God to open your eyes, to show you your sin, and lead you to acknowledge your sin and, and to see your need to repent. So take that look, but then also take a strong, hard look at your Savior, Jesus Christ. And see the beam of love and delight coming from God's eye that looks upon you, that shines on you through the lens of his beautiful and blessed son, Jesus. So today's an opportunity to see what our hearts are like, to to see what our lives are truly like apart from the grace of God in Christ, and once again to see our need for Christ. I'm going to point this out in three ways from the text. First, we may hear the law, we may have the law, but we do not obey the law as God demands. We may hear the law, we may have the law, but we do not obey the law as God demands. The Jews had the law. They were blessed to have God's special revelation. The Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. But here Paul tells them that having the law or hearing the law is not what matters. What really matters is doing law. Listen to verse 12 again. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Paul here, he is talking about judgment according to works. He's not talking about salvation on account of works. And that's an important distinction for us to see. Judgment according to works, not salvation on account of works. And his point is this. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have been entrusted with God's law, you've had access to it, maybe you grew up in the church, or whether you didn't, 
So whether you have the law or whether you don't have the law, if you don't obey it, you will perish. And if you do not obey, you will not be justified. You won't be counted righteous in God's sight. Instead, you will receive God's righteous judgment. And apart from the grace of God in Christ, none of us, not a single one, will obey God's law perfectly. So Paul goes on in verse 14. He says, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So in this passage, Paul is telling us where morality comes from. That sense of right and wrong that we have, it comes from God himself. It is the law that is written on our hearts. So even if someone doesn't have the written law, or maybe they've never heard it, it is still written on their hearts by their creator. And beyond that, God also has given each person a conscience so we know right from wrong, and we know that we should do what is right. Now, sometimes people will ask this question. It's, it's a difficult question. Sometimes people will ask, well, what about people who might live in faraway lands and they have never heard the gospel? They've never heard about Jesus. Will they also be judged by God? And, and if so, how can that be right? And the answer is yes. They will indeed face God's righteous judgment and they will be held accountable. Why? Because God has written the law on their heart. He has given them a conscience, a God-given conscience, and their failure to obey what God has made known to them will result in their just condemnation. That's a truth we can understand from God's word. It also is a motivation for us to take the gospel to all the nations, that they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and come to know and love him. And God will bring that gospel to anyone who wants to hear it. But as we go on, whether they've heard the law, whether they have it in written form or not, if we don't obey, we will indeed be found guilty. And Paul says that God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Now what does it mean to be judged by Christ Jesus? It means that you will be judged by Jesus and by your response to Jesus. Think back to that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It includes one of the most familiar verses in the scriptures. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it goes on and says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, Jesus Christ, has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And then that chapter ends with this verse, a little bit down. It says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. 
Friend, God judges the secrets of your life by Christ Jesus. God sent his son Jesus into the world that you might be saved. But you will be held accountable for your response to him. This is a judgment based on your response to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who always obeyed the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he came to take the punishment, the judgment, the condemnation that you have earned, that you deserve, so that, amazingly, your sins can be credited to him, punished in his death on the cross. And he came to obey the law where you disobey, so that, amazingly, his righteousness can be credited to you and his resurrection from the dead. That is good news. The important question this morning is, how do you personally respond to that good news? Do you personally believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you personally receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? You know, it's not enough to simply have God's law or to have his word. It's not enough to just know the truth, to be able to give the right answers, to be able to recite the scriptures, or even be able to teach it to others. The reason that you must receive and rest upon Jesus alone for salvation is because God calls you to obey his law and you don't. You disobey. You don't always do what God commands you to do. And on the other hand, you do often do what he commands you not to do. The Jews, the moral religious people that Paul wrote to, they had the law, a great gift from God. They had the written law. They, they had the privilege of hearing it, but they were not obeying the law. Paul's second point is this. We may boast in the law, but we dishonor God by breaking the law, and the name of God is blasphemed because of us. Look again at verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure, sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. The Jews were God's chosen people. They had the law. They had the promises. They were proud of the fact that they were God's people. They were proud of the fact that they had the law. But what should have been a source of blessing to the nations instead became a source of blasphemy. They knew God's law. They knew what was right and good. They had been taught right from wrong. Their parents had brought them up in the ways of the Lord and now they're teaching others these great and glorious truths, but they had forgotten the most important thing. They had failed to obey the law themselves. They taught others, but they did not obey themselves. They were doing the opposite of Ezra. There's a great passage in Ezra chapter seven when talking about this prophet of God where it says the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study 
an observance of the law of the Lord. Not just to study it, but to do it. And then to teaching its decrees and statutes in Israel. That was the man after God's heart. That's what God wants from his people. But the Jews had left that behind. Beloved, we who have God's word, before we're called to proclaim it or teach it to others, we're called to do it, to obey it, to set our heart on obeying our king. Now that does not mean that we will obey it perfectly. It also doesn't mean that we can't talk or teach on areas that we're still growing in. If that was the case, there'd be no teachers. (laughs) There'd be no preachers. It means this. It means that we proclaim the gospel along with all of God's word. And the gospel teaches us that the law indeed is good. And we want to obey it. God's children are committed to obeying it. We strive to obey it with all our might. And yet we know we can take that look in the mirror and be honest. We do not always obey because we still sin. But what do we do when we sin? We confess. We repent. We trust in the work of Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We, we see the log in our own eyes, and then we also look to Jesus. And that compels us to walk forward in complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit in new obedience. Paul is saying these Jews boasted in the law, but they had no intention to obey it. They were not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And his indictment reaches its climax in verse 24. For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now here Paul is saying the same thing that the prophet Isaiah and also Ezekiel had said to God's people in the Old Testament. See the Gentiles, the unbelieving world at the time, they thought like this. People are like their God. And at that time, like today, People worshipped many other gods, many other idols. And they thought people are like their God. So when they looked at God's people, they thought if, if this God's people commit these kinds of sins, these kinds of crimes, then their God must be of the same character. That's what their God must be like. And beloved, that same thing is happening in the worldwide church today when those who profess the name of Christ live in the same way as those who do not, when we give ourselves to the same disordered worship or disordered desires, whatever they may be, when we indulge in our sin rather than fight against it, when on the outside we preach against sin, but then in secret we love our sin, we are giving cause for the holy name of God to be blasphemed among the nations. That's a great sin against God. And it's also a tragic irony because God has rescued us from our sin and death. And he has made us who we are so that now, by his grace working in us through his spirit, we can show the world what he truly is like. Now the Jews, they were proud that they were God's people, that that they were lifted up as leaders among the nations. No, we're the ones that could show you who the true God is. We can show you what it's like to worship the true God. They were proud of that, but, but instead of that being an instrument of blessing for the nations, it became an instrument to provoke the nations to blaspheme God. You see the tragic irony. They were supposed to show the world, the people, what God is like, but instead the way that they lived 
told lies about God. Beloved, is that true of you? Is that true of me? Is that true of us today? Well, we might say, of course it is. Of course it is because we sin. We fall short of God's glory. But that's not what Paul's getting at. It's not just the fact that we sin. We know we all sin. But that's not what Paul is charging them with. This was a way of life without repentance. It was a teaching of the law without the gospel. Paul is saying they boasted in the law, but they dishonored God by breaking the law. And the name of God was blasphemed because of them. So how do we avoid that today? If we are honest and we know, yes, we still sin. Yes, we still disobey. There are times when if people would look at my life, it would be cause for them to blaspheme the name of God because of me. So, so how do we avoid this charge today? It's not by living a sinless life. That's not possible for us. So that's not the answer. It's, it's possible by living a life that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. We live this way, we avoid this charge when we take both those looks, when we take that look in the mirror and we see the log in our own eye and we deal with it. We're honest about it. We fight against that sin. We get the help that we might need from others. And also, we take that long look at our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know, I am the wretch the song refers to. And the only reason I have an incredibly bright future is because of Jesus. I want to obey, but I am really bad at obeying. But Jesus is really good at saving. And he is really good at holding on to his people. And God, our Father, is perfect at completing the work that he has begun in his people. Jesus always honored God by obeying the law. He always honored God by obeying law. He always practiced what he preached. He never said one thing and did another. He never preached, do what I say, not what I do. Jesus always obeyed the law, not just the letter of it, but also the spirit, the heart of it. And so the name of God was praised. It was magnified among all the nations because of Jesus, and it still is today. And beloved, because of what Christ has done, when God looks at you, his sinful, failing, weak children who often disobey, what does he see? He sees the obedience of Christ. And his name is praised among the nations because of you as you trust in Christ. So look at Jesus today and rest in God's love for you through his son. Jesus has taken your sin and his righteousness is now your righteousness. So how can you live today to show that this wonderful savior is the treasure of your life? How can you live to show that he's the treasure of your life? If you want to honor God, you want to have his name praised because of you rather than blasphemed because of you, talk less about yourself and more about Jesus. Less about yourself and more about Jesus. And pray that prayer that John the Baptist prayed, Jesus, may you become greater, may I become lesser. He must increase, we must decrease. Well, third point is this. Our outward religious practices Outward religious practices, void of a heart of obedience, 
They may earn praise from men, but they are regarded as nothing before God. Our outward religious practices and ceremonies, if there's not a heart of obedience behind them, men might praise them, but they're regarded as nothing before God. Verse 25, Paul goes on and he says, For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Circumcision in the Old Testament was God's covenant sign for his people. Like baptism is today. It was commanded by God. It was required of all Jewish males. So in Exodus chapter 4, when Moses did not have his son circumcised, God was going to kill him for it. It says that God sought to put him to death, but Moses was saved by his wife. Zipporah did the right thing. And I am sure that all Christian husbands can join me in saying amen to that. Our wives are a great blessing to us from the Lord. They often lead us in the way of righteousness and life and obedience. Circumcision was a good thing. But the Jews made it void of its purpose, of its significance, by their lack of obedience. And the same can happen with baptism today. So today, when we are baptized, we declare that we belong to the Lord. We declare that our children belong to the Lord. But then, do we live as if we do not belong to the Lord? Or do we raise our children as if they do not belong to the Lord? Do we forget whose we are? So we might have the sign, but are our lives matching up with what that sign signifies? Paul says, if you want to be a true Jew, if you want to be a true child of God, if you want to truly be circumcised, it's not really a matter of ethnicity. It's not really a matter of who your parents are, what home you grew up in, or actual physical circumcision. He's saying it's a matter of the heart. So let's go back to that conversation in John 3 that Jesus had with Nicodemus once again. He said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And beloved, this is what we all need. This is a universal need for every person around the world. We need the one who made our hearts to change our hearts. We need this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is our only hope, and it's been the hope for all time. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 36. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Ezekiel 36. But here's one of those places in the Old Testament where the prophet is letting God's people know that the name of God has been blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and talks about the hope that we have. So Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, 
that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. So there's the the condemnation. There's the, hey, look in the mirror and see your sin. But that doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And notice who's driving this action. It's God. This is the work of God. He's doing it for the sake of his name. His people were guilty, but he was going to make them clean. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Beloved, this is the gospel from Ezekiel. God saves sinners, which means God can save you. And if he has, you rejoice, you give him the glory. Salvation is 100% the gracious work of God. God is the one, he's the only one who can give us a new heart. God is the only one who can give us his Holy Spirit and put him within us. You cannot do this. It's not like you get a little gold star for every time you obey and you collect enough of them and you can trade them in for a new heart. That's not the way it works. Beloved, this is the gracious work of God on behalf of guilty sinners and it results in a life of grateful worship and new obedience. Amen. I want to close with this simple summary of the gospel. Because I have encouraged you this morning to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, we're commanded by God to do that. But we also want to make sure we're clear on the gospel. We want to make sure that we understand that this doing of God's word, this obeying of God's word in a way that glorifies him and that pleases him, it's not the basis of our salvation. That is not what makes us right with God. This kind of obedience doesn't come before we are saved. It's the fruit of our salvation. It comes after we've been saved, after we've been made new. So here's a simple summary of the gospel. You all can learn it and share it with your friends, your neighbors, people that may not have heard the gospel, may not know Jesus. It's two simple words, do and done. Do and done. And all the other religions of the world center their message around that first word, do. Your relationship with whatever God there may be, according to them, is based on what you do. Somehow, you must, by your good works, earn yourself a way to heaven through your human efforts. That's all the other religions of the world. It's what you do. Christianity, centered around Jesus Christ, is focused on that other word, done. Beloved, we are saved by what Jesus himself has done. His finished work on the cross. He alone 
live that life of perfect obedience. He suffered the punishment for your disobedience and his cursed death on the cross. He rose again in victory over sin and death and the devil so that all who repent and believe in him are saved. They're born again. They're given a new heart, one that loves him and now wants to obey him. Beloved, when God gives you a new heart, you delight to hear and obey God's word. When God gives you a new heart, you boast in knowing Jesus. And so you honor God and you praise his name. When the Holy Spirit makes your heart new, you become a true child of God, the object of love and praise from your heavenly father. Men may no longer praise you, but God himself does. So beloved, today, take those two looks. Take that that look in the mirror, see the log in your own eye, acknowledge your need and repent of your sin and take that long look at your Savior, Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him and see. What do you see there? When you look at Christ, when you consider God's thoughts towards you, what do you see there? What is there is the beam of love and delight coming from his eyes, looking upon you, that shines on you through the lens of his beautiful and blessed son, Jesus Christ. And when you see God's love for you, when you rest in what Jesus has done for you, when you trust in his goodness, then, beloved, we together, we will obey him with joy, not for his favor, but from his favor. His love is on us, and it's our delight not just have the word, not just hear the word, but obey the word. And beloved, this is a miracle of grace, what Jesus has done for you. So may you rest in his finished work today, beloved. Rejoice in his goodness and glory today, and then go forth being a doer of the word and not a hearer only for his glory and for your joy. Amen.